Good to be in here. Good to be worshiping. Really grateful to our team this morning. Just nice to be dry and nice to be in a place where we can worship God together. Open your Bibles or your Philippians journal to Philippians chapter 2. I'm telling you, I'm going to jump right in because I'm telling you guys, it is a joy to explore these particular verses with you this morning. I've been looking forward to this part of Philippians since the moment we decided months ago that we were going to be studying this book. It was A.W. Tozer who famously wrote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he is in his deep heart conceiving God to be like. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say the text that Luke read for us just a moment ago has as much potential to profoundly shape the way we think about God as maybe any other text in the scripture. Maybe I am exaggerating because I love this text. But I can't stop thinking about this text and I almost don't even know why. On the one hand, it's just, it's sort of a, a weird text. And we'll, we'll get into some of the confusion in it. it, it it's it been a controversial text and I'll talk about that a little bit too. And I love it. It has shaped me and changed me these last two weeks as I have been thinking about it. You know, the, the text as it was read, if it sounded particularly familiar to you, it's because it's, the, it's part of our Philippians creed, what we call the passage of Philippians that we read together every single week corporately. And you didn't miss it yet today. We haven't done it yet today. We're gonna do it at the very end of our service this morning. But we chose that text to read together corporately every week in this series because we believe not only is it one of the most important parts of Philippians, but we believe what A.W. Tozer is talking about, that the way that we're gonna be changed is to have our minds changed how we think about God. And this is one of those texts we need to think about God properly. So last week, Lloyd explained in the first four verses of chapter two that this whole section is about humility. And the way he said that was he said, you know, Paul is calling the body to unity and oneness and there's one key word that without that one key word, unity and oneness and all the other wonderful things that we desire to have together is impossible with the word, without the word or without the the reality of humility in our lives. So that's the word, the word that unlocks the kind of community that we are invited to live in, a community marked by mutual compassion and kindness and tender mercy and affection and love. It's the kind of relationship you crave. You probably don't think about the fact that you're craving it in a church body, but at a deep level you are. You probably feel it most acutely in your family relationships and your friendships. You crave unity. You crave love. You, you crave togetherness. And what Paul is going to say is it's impossible without humility. 
And I want you to know there is a part of you and a part of me that rejects humility just as much as I reject working out. <laughs> I don't like anything to do with working out. I'm not one of those guys, okay? I, 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 I must admit, and some of you love to work out and good for you. <laughs> But there's a part in all of us that humility is the opposite direction where we want to move. Like we want to move toward elevation, not, you know, uh, descent. But in these verses today, Paul is going to build on this theme of humility. And he, quite frankly, he's going to take it to a place that's so astonishing. I don't know that you can truly hear them this morning and not be moved and changed. So let's dive into it. I think the Spirit's intention for these words this morning is the same intention that Paul had for his audience, which is that they would be profoundly moved, that their thinking about God would be changed so that they themselves would be changed. And this is the living word of God for us today. Verse five of chapter two says it this way. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to pause right there. The thought hasn't been completed, so I'm going to leave us hanging. But, but you need to know this. The key to living a life of humility is to think a certain way. To have your mind take a certain shape. And Paul is saying, the shape that it must take is the shape of Jesus. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is another identity statement. Remember that we talked about this for the last couple of weeks. Christian obedience always begins with identity, not duty. Paul is calling something out of us. He's saying, you have the mind of Christ. It is already yours if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. So the key here is, if you are yours, if you are in Christ, then you need to think like Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Here's another way we could say it. In order to become a people more and more marked by humility, we must have the mindset of Jesus. In particular, we must think about humility the way Jesus thinks about humility. And even more particularly, that means we have to think about ourselves the way Jesus thought about himself. You track that? So how does Jesus think about himself? That's the question that this text is gonna just blow up for us. I mean, it's, it's gonna be just ex explosive that what this reveals about the mind of Christ regarding his own person, regarding his humility. Let's continue verse, we'll go six and seven next. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, these verses are wonderfully dense, and we're going to spend most of our time this morning on these two verses, and then we'll only have one more verse to cover at the end. And then next week, Lloyd's going to complete this section with the final verses, uh, verses 9 through 11. 
In verse six, when it says he was in the form of God, but did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. Some have interpreted that to mean Jesus, maybe he wasn't actually equal to God. You know, maybe that he was something less than God. It actually means the opposite of that. Paul is describing Jesus in his pre-incarnated form. Now, I don't know how many of you ever thought about this, but Jesus did not come into existence at Christmas. Scripture teaches us Jesus always was, you know, as part of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. God has always eternally existed. So what happened at Christmas was the eternally existing person of Jesus took on flesh and became also human. So what in the world does this mean that, quote, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped? Well, you know, this is the word that gets confusing right here. It almost sounds like like he wasn't equal to God and yet he didn't count it as something he should try to strive for. No, if you you do careful work on that word, the, the verb to grasp in Greek could also be translated as to exploit or to use something to one's own advantage. So let me read to you how the New International Version translates it, which I think is a little clearer than than the ESV in this particular case. Here's what NIV uh, writes. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I think that's a clearer, more accurate way to translate grasp. He did not use it to his own advantage. Eugene Peterson, when he paraphrased the message, he he said it, I think, even more clearly and and kind of brilliantly. Here's how he paraphrased it. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. So everything the Bible teaches us says Jesus is God. And so here Jesus is before he became human. He's in his pre-incarnated state as God. And and he didn't find his godness so precious that, that he had to exploit it over us, that he had to use it to his advantage over us. Instead, he, quote, emptied himself, verse seven. What a remarkable way to say it. He emptied himself. Now, we're gonna do a deep dive on a word, all right? And I'm just gonna prepare you in advance. We don't always do this here. We, Lloyd and I pick our spots to talk about Greek. And we pick our spots when it really matters. And this one really matters. Emptied comes from a Greek verb, kenoo, if you were to take that Greek word kenoo and write it in, in a, a, a noun tense, emptying, the emptying, it would be this word. I'll write it on the screen, kenosis. And, and this is the word I, I want to talk about. This is a word some of you have heard of. Most of you probably not, but this is a really big deal word. And the reason it's a big deal word is because this whole passage has become, you know, to be known as the kenosis passage. If you ever hear that word, kenosis passage, you'll know, oh, Philippians 2, the emptying of Jesus. This has become a big deal because people have debated, and this is the controversy I mentioned earlier, what did Jesus empty himself of? 
And so there's this whole school of thought called the kenosis theory that gets into Jesus left behind his divinity. Like he emptied himself of his godness. And so what he was left as a human being was not God, was just a man. There are dozens of scriptures that directly contradict that idea. So that's not what Paul meant. Paul himself on numerous occasions makes the deity of Christ super clear. You know, you know m- maybe most profoundly in Colossians chapter one, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were made. Jesus is God. So what does it mean that he emptied himself? What does the kenosis all about? Well, Paul uses this verb about four times in the New Testament. And every time he's using it metaphorically, not literally. So let's not get hung up on, you know, which parts of Jesus did he empty himself of? What would a metaphorical emptying mean? It would be a posture of humility. It it would be uh, the, the idea that he gave up his rights his privileges. He left his high position in heaven. Just think about that. Being worshiped constantly by angels, you know, being surrounded by the Shekinah glory. He left that to become a poor human, literally poor. And so here's what kenosis means in this context. Jesus did not leave his divinity behind when he became human. Rather, he gave up his rights and his privileges And he emptied himself of his will in submission to the will of the Father. That's why all throughout the New Testament when Jesus is saying, he's just saying, you know, I I, I do whatever the Father tells me to do. I'm fully submitted to the Father. Right up to to his decision of whether or not to go through with the cross. Jesus is praying in that garden of Gethsemane and he's just overwhelmed with the weight of the moment. He says, is there another way? And yet not my will, but your will. That's an emptying, guys. That's a kenosis. So just to kind of bolster this idea and give you more evidence, I want to read to you a number of other translations, how they translate it, which, which again, you might find more helpful than our translation in this context. Here it is. We'll put it on the screen. Our, Our translation we teach from is the ESV at the top. But look at the NIV. He made himself nothing. The the New Living Translation, he gave up his divine privileges. The Amplified, he stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity. And my personal favorite in this case is the New King James. He made himself of no reputation. The reason I happen to like that phrase is because it speaks to me. That's the opposite of what I want. Jesus moved in the exact opposite direction of our sinful human instinct. This is part of how he redeemed humanity. I thought about like... What will they remember? Like in, in, the, in weeks and even years ahead, because I don't know if we're ever going to study this passage together again. What do I want them to remember about kenosis, about emptying? And, and I had this, this illustration come to my mind. So let me come over here. 
I told Joe to get wine, but he got juice. But what, what can I say? You know, here, here's some juice. Uh, to be specific, this is cran grape juice. So I have been told. Now, this picture represents the, the divine form, the, the privilege and position of Jesus in heaven. This is the kind of picture that like, I don't know about what it's like in, in your house, but we don't use this every day. You know, We get this out at Thanksgiving and Christmas when we pull out the fine china. This is the picture that we're going to use. To, to empty himself, what Jesus essentially did was he poured himself out in, into a much more base vessel, a, a much more common thing. In fact, he poured himself out into a servant's bowl. This is maybe the kind of vessel he used to wash his disciples' feet. Now you just think about that for a minute. Jesus high and lifted up, God himself surrounded by the heavenly armies in his glory. He poured himself out. Now did the substance change? No. The substance did not change, but he took a different morphe in the Greek, which is form. He took a different form. So, so here's how a commentator I was reading this week, Lynn Kohick, she said it this way. He emptied himself of a divine and glorious form and took on an earthly and inglorious form. That's the image that I would invite you to have about kenosis, the emptying. I like the way C.S. Lewis talked about this event. He said, the eternal being who knows everything and created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that a baby, and before that a fetus inside a woman's body. If you want to get the hang of it, think how you would like to become a slug or a crab. That's the idea. It's like, don't give me any part of that slug. Jesus did not make that choice. He, he did not consider his divine privilege as something for him to use to his advantage. Instead, he emptied himself and took on the form, took on the, the, the nature of a human being and not just any human, a servant. And in fact, the, the word in the Greek here, servant, is doulos, which is Slave. Lloyd talked about this on week one. Paul introduces the book by saying, you know, Paul and Timothy, slaves, servants, but it's really slaves, slaves of Jesus Christ. Where did Paul get that from? Jesus. Jesus became a doulos, a slave. Now, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What... How are you thinking about God right now? I, some of you are just like, oh yeah, I know this stuff already. And, and you do, but you don't. Here's what this means. To take this passage seriously, here's how it begins to shape your view of God. This text means that the most powerful being in the universe is also the most humble Have you ever thought about God that way? The humility of God is not something we talk often about. Paul says you need to have that mindset. You need to have the mind of Jesus Christ if you hope to be humble yourself. You have to think like Jesus thought. Humility is a divine attribute and it's not just one divine attribute among many. It's one of the core divine attributes to think about God and not have humble come to your mind is to not fully understand God. 
So, you know, there's some messages that you get to the end and whether it's me or it's Lloyd, there's a really clear like, go do, go do this. We are gonna have a little bit of that today. But the biggest thing I want you to do after this text is to just meditate, is to think, is to actually allow this text to change and transform the way you think about God. Do you think about him as humble? Is that one of the first things that comes to your mind? Listen, we think, well, maybe Jesus is just the humble member of the Trinity. Oh no, he is the image of the invisible God. That means all the fullness of God is in Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus, Paul says. And John says in John chapter one, and the rest of the New Testament agrees. So I want you to meditate on this. I, I just want us to consider the way we think about God is not sufficient until we think of him this way. He is a humble God. I don't know why this has grabbed me so much. I just can't stop thinking about it. And I think what that tells me is I hadn't been thinking quite right about God before. And I've read this passage lots of times, but in, until I really got into it, and maybe it's just the season of life I'm in, I don't know. But I can't stop thinking about this. In fact, I did something I've never done before when writing a sermon. I, I was just thinking about this, and I had this little piece of fiction come into my mind, this little short story, and I wrote it down. I'm gonna read it to you, which honestly is pretty vulnerable for me because I've never done that before. But I, but I want to read it to you. And this is what I wrote. It's not very long. I was meditating on this idea and, and I just thought of this little story in my mind and I titled it, Overheard in the Servants' Quarters of the Palace on the First Day of the New King. Maybe that's the worst title of all time. <laughs> but here it goes. Have you seen him yet? He's not what you'd think. I just chanced a glimpse up in the great hall. I dared not go too close. My back still bears a mark from the chief guard of the last king. But as I entered the room with my tray of sweets, how could I know him? He had no crown, nor even a robe. And before I saw him, he saw me. And then he was right there. I tried to lower my gaze and bow, but his majesty looked me straight and held my eyes with his. And I cannot tell you how he looked except to say when he saw me, I felt seen. And then I don't know how it happened. Of course, it's never happened to me before, but Right then, of all times, my fingers froze and my tray slipped from my hands and crashed to the floor with such a noise and a mess. The whole party stared. What happened next, I can only swear I'm telling you true. The king bowed low and gathered the sweets with his own hands. I began to stutter out my shame, but he stopped me again with his gaze. And the words he spoke, I will never forget. I have come not to serve, 
but be served. Redo. The most important line of the story, I butchered it. Can you get back into the mood for a minute? Okay. Dang. And the words he spoke, I will never forget. I have come to serve, not be served. That is what he said. Plain as this stain on my shoes from the spill. You should see him. He's not what you'd think. He is a humble king. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Can you see him this way? One more verse, and verse eight takes us even deeper because the incarnation was not the end. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So interesting to me that the, the way Jesus humbled himself was by becoming obedient and his obedience had no bounds. Now, who was he obedient to? Obviously to the father. You know, th this I think Paul has in mind that moment in the garden that we'd already discussed. Not my will, but your will. I, I, I love the way this one commentator I, I read put it. He, he said this, only a divine being can accept death as obedience. For ordinary people, it's a necessity. For Jesus, there was never a time in his life that he looked to the Father and said, you're asking too much of me. For Jesus, the emptying, the pouring out, much of that had to do with humbling himself by becoming obedient. And, and not just obedient like you and I might say we're obedient, obedient to the fullest extent, to the point of death. And not just death, Paul's gonna say, even death on a cross. I mean, come on, guys. We... You know, we, we, we lose the visceral nature of this, but we wear it around our necks. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. We, you know, we put it on our cars, whatever. But do you remember what that means? In, in that society at the time, and you would not even talk about crucifixion in polite Roman society. It was, it was beneath you. It was heinous. It, crucifixion was actually reserved for rebels and slaves. Consider the downward trajectory of Jesus Christ. God became man. The man became slave. The slave became an object of scorn and then buried in the earth. If we want to have the mindset of Christ, we have to think differently about God. Humility, you might say, is so closely connected to the core of who Jesus revealed God to be that to be truly humble and to be godly are not that different from each other. 
I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Usually we think of someone who's godly as just, oh yeah, they pray a lot. They, they do a lot of righteous things. I mean, there can be a self-elevation in our own godliness, so-called godliness. You'll see none of that in the real thing. You'll see none of that in Jesus Christ. Look to the servants among us. That is where godliness resides. We must think differently about God. I've been trying to do this in a lot of different ways. I already read to you what I wrote. I've, I've taught this text as best as I know how to teach it. I, I wanna do one more thing. I wanna read to you some words that I don't even know how they, I had them in my, my head, but I'd heard them somewhere and I Googled them. You know, I don't know what I would have done before Google. I wouldn't have been able to read this, but, but there, there's this song or poem or something that in the back of my mind called Lower Still. And I just remember somebody reciting it. I didn't remember that it was a music lyric, which I found out it was. And it, I Googled it. It's by this band called My Epic, which I had never heard of. And I, I made the mistake of not actually listening to the song and just sending the link to Carl. I said, hey, can we do this song on Sunday? And he wrote me back and he said, did you listen to it? And I said, no. And he said, it's like a thrasher band. <laughs> and then I listened to it and he was right. And I'm telling you, I'm like, you know, don't, so don't go listen to, unless you like that kind of music, maybe you'll love it. But for me, it just distracted me because it's not my kind of music. But I want you to hear the lyrics. The lyrics are incredible. And as we meditate on these things and, and, and even prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's table together in a few minutes, I want to read to you these lyrics. Look, he's covered in dirt. The blood of his mother has mixed with the earth. And she's just a child who's throbbing in pain from the terror of birth by the light of a cave. Now they've laid that small baby where creatures come eat like a meal for the swine who have no clue that he is still holding together the world that they see. They don't know just how low he has to go. Lower still. Look, now he's kneeling. He's washing their feet. Though they're all filthy fishermen, traitors, and thieves. Now he's pouring his heart out, and they're falling asleep. But he has to go lower still. There is greater love to show, hands to the plow. Further down now, blood must flow. Do you see, do you see just how low he has come? Do you see it now? Beat in his face, tear the skin off his back, lower still, lower still. Strip off his clothes, make him crawl through the streets, lower still, lower still. Hang him like meat on a criminal's tree, lower still, lower still. Bury his corpse in the earth like a seed, like a seed like a seed, lower still, lower still. Now the earth explodes, she cannot hold him, and all therein is placed beneath him. And death itself no longer reigns, it cannot keep the ones he gave himself to save. And as the universe shatters, the darkness dissolves, he alone will be honored, we will bathe in his splendor, 
as all heads bow lower still. All heads bow lower still. You and I will only begin to embody humility as we understand more deeply who God is. And as you understand more deeply who God is, at the same time, you can begin to understand more deeply who you are in Christ. That actually in you, there is fullness and glory that Jesus exchanged his life for. And then, once you're understanding a bit more of who God is in Jesus and who you are in Jesus, then you can follow Jesus by not counting that glory that is in you a thing to be taken advantage of, but by emptying yourself and taking on the form of a servant. Here is our invitation to joy this morning. Choose a relationship or a circumstance in your life to empty yourself this week in order to serve like Jesus. It could be something you're going through that you have been resisting. It can be a relationship. It's really hard for you to take the towel and wash this person's feet. Emptying might look like all kinds of things. Emptying might look like for you this week, clearing your schedule. Emptying this week might look like setting aside your pride or laying down your rights. Emptying this week might look like putting aside your preferences. Whatever it looks like for you this week, it will cost you something. It always costs something. But here's the thing, and I want to just tease next week when Lloyd will come in and, and complete this incredible passage. The remarkable thing about emptying ourselves and, and following Jesus in the kenosis is that emptying always results in more fullness. It turns out the path of joy is the downward path it is the emptying path. And as we will see next week, going low leads to being lifted up. So now we come to the table and I invite you to take out the bread and the cup if you picked it up on your way in. And if you did not and you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you, don't feel awkward. Don't feel embarrassed. Just even stand up right now and go through those back doors and grab one. I don't want you to miss out on this. And listen, you might come into the room this morning and say, I'm not worthy to be in communion with Jesus Christ. You are a breath away from confession and a restoration of fellowship. Do you understand that? Are you willing to go low enough this morning to confess and receive forgiveness and be restored into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Some of you, you've never started a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you could say all that was true in you, what would come out would be something like this. I actually am not willing to go that low. 
believe something my grandparents believed, jump through some religious hoop, which is what this feels like to me, admit that I'm a sinner. Jesus went low for you. My prayer is you'd have eyes to see and if you have eyes to see that this morning and if you can believe that this morning then just trust him. Just take a leap of faith. Just say, I'll go low because Jesus went low. And if you've been longing to be filled up, it could be, in fact, I believe it is, that the key is emptying yourself to receive the fullness that is in Jesus Christ. And so let us this morning, as a body, as a congregation, as a church, let us go low. Let us go low. Jesus, we hold this morsel of bread in our hands and we remember that this points us to the body, your own body, broken for us, broken so that we could receive, broken so that in our lowliness, we would be filled. Let us receive our fill this morning with joy. This cup that you now hold in your hands represents the blood of Jesus. The the blood was in his body and it came out and dripped down. And, And what you're holding right now points you to that sacrifice. It points you to that true moment in history when Jesus did that. And when he did it, he did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for us. And so if you're thirsty this morning, if you're thirsty for life, if you're thirsty for forgiveness, if you're thirsty for wholeness, you're invited to put your trust in Jesus Christ and receive. And so let us receive this morning in joy. Our Father, your ways are higher than our ways. And part of the highness of your ways is the lowness of Jesus Christ. Help us to wrap our minds around that a little more profoundly as we think about it in the coming week. Help this idea of emptying to be something that becomes a way we think about you, God, for surely, surely you could have accomplished your will in other ways and you chose to go low. And so Jesus, we thank you. May we meet you in your emptiness and receive from you our fullness. In your name we pray, amen.